Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck, and welcome to The HQ, a CHA Learning and Healthcare Can podcast serial where we dive into healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack these topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. So welcome listeners, and thank you for joining us for another important conversation and one which I hope helps each of us find more joy and be better leaders. Today, we're going to explore compassion, what it is, why it's important, especially in healthcare, and what may be getting in the way of this emotional state. Certainly, many, if not most, who answer the call to enter healthcare bring with them a strong sense of compassion. But why is that? Where does it come from, and how does it connect to good quality healthcare? And what about those who provide healthcare services and who do not have the same degree of compassion? Or how about those whose capacity for compassion may have suffered the past few years? It's no secret to any who work in healthcare that the pandemic and the prolonged stress and uncertainty it brought, not to mention the prolonged hours many in healthcare had to perform, led to the physical and mental exhaustion experienced by many and the increased prevalence of what many captured under the umbrella term burnout. And when a healthcare professional experiences burnout, what is the impact of their ability to feel and be compassionate and the impact on care that comes with it? How does it impact relationships with patients, residents, families, and with each other? We hear terms like compassion fatigue, but is it the same thing or is it even an accurate description? At the same time, there is growing calls from people like Michael West and his work at the King's Fund that we need compassionate leadership in healthcare. So if compassion is one of the pillars of both good healthcare and good leadership, how can we address the issue of its absence or weakness in those that need it? These questions are why I'm thrilled to be joined by Kathleen Ledoux to have this conversation. Kathleen is a nurse who has had multiple and diverse experiences over the course of her career. She's been a clinical nurse, a nurse leader, and most recently a nurse academic. Among many accomplishments, Kathleen is most proud of attaining her PhD at a time when she might have been contemplating retirement. During the course of her PhD, Kathleen became immersed in learning about compassion, its effects and benefits, how it can be learned, and how to implement it in both one's professional and personal realms. To that end, she completed a year-long program at Stanford University's Center for Comp- Passion and Altruism Research to learn how to teach others to be compassionate. She has published both research and commentary on compassion. Kathleen is currently an adjunct research professor and research coordinator at Western University. In her words, it is her intention to spend this next portion of her career helping others to learn how they might lead a more compassionate life, writing about it, and researching compassion. So hi Kathleen and welcome to the HQ. Hi, Dale. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes. So thank you again for joining me to have this conversation that I think is sort of really about self in some ways. So um, and how we care for ourselves. Um, So maybe as a way to get us going and, and having this conversation, perhaps let's start with the conversation about your own journey into compassion and what brought you to this place. Okay. thank you. Yeah. Uh, Well, um, I had been in a uh, senior leadership role uh, in an acute care um, health center, which uh, gave me a really broad perspective across the organization, you know, through all the various programs and departments and um, components. And uh, because of this broad view that I have, 
I was hearing over and over and over again uh, from nurses about their um, challenges in providing care mm -hmm. and what they were describing as feeling uh, moral distress or compassion mm -hmm. fatigue and um, using terms uh, like that. And, you know, in some instances, sitting in my office crying because they couldn't um, perform nursing the way that they judged to be appropriate. So, so um, you, of course, I had my own experiences as a nurse and um, certainly had had similar kinds of experiences, uh, along with the um, you know, the most wonderful and meaningful experiences that characterize, um, you know, healthcare provision. So um, at that time, um, I had an opportunity, was given an opportunity to um, return to school and um, do my PhD. And so I went back with the intention of trying to understand what moral distress and compassion fatigue were. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I thought I knew, um, but as I got deeper into it, it just became very clear to me um, that I actually couldn't articulate what compassion was. Um, I thought I knew what compassion fatigue was. And so in order to understand compassion fatigue, I thought I should understand compassion. I, I couldn't articulate what it was. And it was just this really um, uh, illuminating moment. And uh, so it was from that moment that I began to explore what is compassion. And um, through that exploration, uh, ended up uh, studying it, doing um, my PhD in it. And um, also, as you mentioned, um, becoming aware that I can learn how to be compassionate or more compassionate. And also from there learning, it can be taught. Mm -hmm. uh, and so from that position, I decided to um, attend the uh, the Stanford program in um, cultivating compassion. So, yeah, that that's how I got to where I am now. That's a very interesting journey, certainly uh, um, probably several sort of forks in the road that you didn't anticipate you were going to take. Um, and I'm also, you know, sensitive to your remarks in terms of, you know, having nurses sitting in your your office with you and and being in tears and feeling that sort of moral distress. So I'm sure, in those moments, you felt compassion. I feel compassion, at least I think I do, um, in terms of you relating that story. But if I say I'm feeling compassion, what does that mean? If you know, how how would you define compassion and maybe help people to better understand what it is and how it works? Well, um, what it is, it's a, um, it's a state, it's an emotional state, and it has uh, three components to it. Um, it uh, is comprised of kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And so when 
those three are present, then you are feeling compassion. And so maybe if I can, I'll just delve a little deeper into what things are. Um, So kindness, of course, is um, being courteous and generous and considerate and um, common humanity is understanding that we are more similar than dissimilar mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we share um, common traits and uh, for example genetically um, you and I and everybody else are about 99.9 percent the same we are only about one percent different so it's only about that one percent that makes you know you and I different or different from anyone else so we are humans we're very similar so you know the the common humanity is about understanding that we're similar and it's also understanding the uh about the interdependencies that we have with each other that truly just about anything i do needs somebody else to help me do it um Mm -hmm. So, you know, here you and I are speaking and, um, but, you know, there's all this technology that's enabling it. And so thousands of people had to put their minds together and, you know, create this technology and create Zoom and, um, you know, and then all those people that needed to support those people to support um, this technology. And, really anything that I do um, I have an interdependency with others hundreds thousands of other people and so um, you know I never act alone Um, there's always somebody there hundreds thousands of people and then the um, third um, part of compassion which is mindfulness and you know for the longest time I had this sense of mindfulness being um quiet you know being contemplative quiet peaceful um and now I have a different understanding of of what mindfulness is and and I think the the end is perhaps um that quiet you know that that pond that sometimes is um, shown as a metaphor for mindfulness, that quiet pond with maybe a few ripples. Um, But as I understand mindfulness now, it's more about stability, creating a stability practice. It's more, um, and I often use this image when I'm explaining this, it's it's more um, like surfing. Mm riding a wave maintaining your balance on that wave and um the wave is a metaphor for life uh and you know whatever is occurring in your life trying to maintain um stability so um mindfulness in the sense of compassion um allows me to be um quiet uh contemplative uh watchful and waiting 
um, when I'm with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those those three components are need to be present for compassion and are necessary. And then there is a process. There's the there are the components and then there's the process of compassion and compassion starts when you see suffering mm-hmm. and suffering can be um you know small moments of suffering or 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 big moments of suffering they can be um you know watching um somebody frustrated with something um and that's suffering or it can be watching um observing someone dealing with a very difficult piece of of news um it can be uh sitting in your car and you know seeing another driver uh driving badly um you know that's a form of suffering as well so it's noticing suffering mm-hmm. um it's feeling connected to that suffering um because sometimes we can notice it but not feel the connection you know there it's it's possible that you know you you may not um understand or you may not um appreciate that the other person is suffering and then there is um there's the desire to help and that is the the key to uh perhaps um understanding that you are in a compassionate state is that you want to act you really you want to act it's the only uh, pro-social um emotion that uh does create that desire to act hmm. and uh in the desire to act you you need to understand or you need to assess, do I have the ability to act? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you don't. Um, And then when you do act, there is a a feeling of warmth that occurs. So it's this stepwise process of recognizing it, connecting with it, wanting to do something about it, having the ability to do something about it and then this feeling of of warmth at the end this uh positive feeling after you have um acted and and we now know in the neurosciences that this is what sustains us in being compassionate Hmm. that that warm feeling um helps us want to go back and do it again yeah the, the body's sort of innate way of trying to help us to, I guess, have a positive, I guess, reinforcement, I guess, of that behavior, right? So, exactly, um, exactly. So, I mean, so in terms of what you've been describing, I mean, certainly the our intercre- interconnectedness. I mean, that was certainly been uh, brought forward in all of our minds as a result of the pandemic. Um, that we were not, none of us were alone and we needed each other more than we ever realized. Um, and then obviously it's exposed us to a high degree of suffering um, that maybe we've, you know, never seen in our lives before as well. 
How does all of that, though, connect in terms of, I guess, some of those other emotional states that maybe we, we throw around um, maybe loosely as well? Like we can say, I, I, I can really empathize with what you've been talking about, or I have a great deal of sympathy for, um, you know, the, you know the, some of the, the suffering that you've had. Like, so are these all the same or how can you tease them out for maybe our listeners here? Uh, no, they aren't the same. Um, and uh, that was one of the um, ahas that I had. Uh, so empathy is, um, you know, you as you mentioned, you do uh, feel the same emotion. You actually are feeling the same emotion as the other person. You are mirroring it. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe I can um, spend a moment and talk about what happens when you aren't able to, to distinguish that it's you or the other person yeah. that is feeling this. And sometimes uh, we can become overly engaged in our empathic response and we can begin to feel empathic distress where we are no longer able to distinguish, oh, that is actually happening to the other person. Um, I I do empathize, I do understand, I do feel it, but it's not happening to me. And so it is, um, there is a risk when you feel empathy to become, um, the, well, the, the term is to become uh, entangled in the other person's experience and forget that it's not you having that experience, it's the other person. So um, I know some people are reluctant about feeling empathy or concerned or feel that there's a risk. Um, And there is that risk if you cannot make that distinction. Uh, And then sympathy is a feeling of concern uh, but no, there's no understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, empathy provides that understanding. Sympathy does not. Um, and then there's pity, which is um, uh, an emotion which is um, condescending. Mm-hmm. And there is um, quite often a power differential between the person who pities and the one who is pitied. Um, So very different emotions. And they can, I guess, in some situations all coexist or be even on a, a, perhaps a a continuum, I guess, if you start to maybe feel pity, maybe start with feeling sympathy, then that moves to empathy. And maybe then you're starting to feel compassion where you're maybe acting because i think that's one of the key words you were using would that be sort of a fair way of for some Um, people or in some situations uh i i i don't know that that's the the case um i they are very discreet okay i i think um what you might be reflecting on is um when we know what they are and how they are different then we can say oh right i'm feeling pity Okay. Um, okay, let me see if I can shift. Or um, feeling sympathy, don't feel connected. I don't really understand what the other person is going through. 
maybe I can shift. Maybe I can see if there is anything analogous in my life that might enable me to shift to empathy. If that's warranted, you know, it's, I would certainly say, try to stay out of pity mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because pity is, is condescending. Um, but, you know, it might not be, empathy might not be warranted. Um, maybe sympathy is sufficient, you know, depending on the situation. Yeah, fair. Um, and so I guess bringing this back into healthcare more specifically, where, you know, our, our healthcare workers um, are party to or witness a great deal of suffering as a, as part of their, their work um, and the kinds of feelings that come with that. Um, and I, I, I guess that's where you're talking about the risks for the, the um, um, empathic distress or the potential for that, that can sort of um, uh, rear its head. I mean, how do, I guess your advice or your, your research in terms of how do you navigate the, I guess the, the need or the compulsion for being compassionate with the risks that come from, you know, feeling too much um, or is that, is that part of the, I guess, the, the tease out of the, the two things that you've been describing? Oh, um, that is such an important question. Um, I, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not an expert in, um, the, uh, psychology or, or, or counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I would say is, uh, when you, when you realize you are in distress, in, in a state of emotional distress, that's the moment to pause and to um, try to discern what the genesis of that distress is. So I can give an example of, um, you know, I was never able to um, care for children. I was never able to be a pediatric nurse. Mm -hmm. uh, I now know it was because um, I would experience empathic distress. Um, I, I could not disentangle myself. Um, yeah. I could not stay in, you know, empathy and then act compassionately. I was in distress. Um, so you know, so many years ago, I chose not to um, uh, be a pediatric nurse. I, I chose you, adults, although most of my classmates wanted peds. Mm -hmm. I thought, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, so, you know, if I were to go back in time, I would try to understand what was it that caused that empathic distress? Um, so, you know, in the same way, um, you know, you may experience, or clinicians may experience moral distress or burnout. Um, you know, when you, when you realize you're in that state, you need to pause 
and um, discern what it is that's causing it. Um, and one of the helpful strategies is um, learning about self-compassion, where you can give yourself compassion and help yourself through those moments um, because it's not possible to avoid them. It's not. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, in, in some spaces, people would talk about compartmentalizing, right? And not, I guess, as you described, to avoid becoming too entangled in some of those emotions. But, it, and so, the self compassion, maybe we can come back to in a, a bit more. But does does creating those compartments or those walls, maybe another language, you know, that that keep ourselves protected? Um, also keep us from other kinds of feelings that maybe are needed in terms of the, you know, our, our place within the healthcare uh, environment? Oh, again, that's such a good question. Um, my experience and my reading and my understanding would say no don't compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I'm not a therapist. So, um, you know, I would suggest that people, if they are feeling this way, you know, get that kind of advice. Um, but from, from what I know and understand in my own experience is compartmentalizing doesn't work mm -hmm. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I am a whole being, right? And if I try to carve off sections of myself, um, I'm no longer integrated. And, you know, this reminds me of you when I began my clinical practice, where we would be told, um, be professional and don't care, don't care too much, don't care too much. Um, and of course, the, and the other was don't bring yourself to work, mm. just be professional. And of course, we now know that's impossible, right? Uh, because in order to do that, you have to suppress, you have to suppress yourself. And um, when you suppress yourself, you're not able to make connections with others. It's, it's, just not possible mm -hmm. you know you need to be a whole being in front of another whole being uh, to make those connections so you know um we were advised as as we understood you know the clinical world back then as best as as we could be advised but as it turned out it was a false premise um, yeah, and and it's interesting because I mean our most recent episode of the uh, the HQ was talking about you know um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, and you know <clears throat> I mean creating safe spaces for uh, our health workers and and their families um, to have that sense of belonging, right? To be able to bring your whole authentic self to work, right? So. 
it, it is, I think it's, it's fascinating in terms of the way cultures have shifted within a generation or two um, from don't bring yourself to work. Um, you know, you're here just to be a professional. Um, you know, the, you know, and probably even more true of you know, the baby boomer type of generations or traditionalists in that respect. And now we are in another space where I want to be exactly who I am every day, everywhere. Well, you know, I can recall uh, when, you know, when I was a student nurse, mm -hmm. um, I could not sit on the patient's bed and I could not hold the patient's hand. And um, actually, I, I, you know what? I can feel, I can feel tears arising uh, remembering that because that's what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, having to jump up when the supervisor <laughs> would come by, like not, not allowed to, you know, to be authentic with, you know, this other person. It was, you know, I'm sure at that moment I was experiencing moral distress, but couldn't name it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, you know, what we have learned is that, um, healthcare is relational. Mm -hmm. It's not just technical. Um, luckily, luckily we've, we've learned that. Yes. I, uh, I, I do think that, yeah, the pendulum is swinging back for sure. Um, more work to be done, but it's sort of in that space. So, I mean, we've described it a little bit or hinted around, right, some of those obstacles or those challenges or barriers, right, to feeling compassion in, uh, in healthcare. Um, could you expand on more in terms of your own research, you know, in terms of what's preventing healthcare workers from being compassionate, whether it's something that they possess or wanting to, you know, to grow? Yeah, um, well, I, I sometimes think about it in two ways. One is um, barriers to initiating compassion. Mm -hmm. And that could be, um, you just don't recognize that the other person is suffering. You just don't recognize it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it doesn't start, uh, it doesn't start. Um, and then the other is um, you may recognize it, but you just can't create that connection. There's, for some reason, you do not connect with the, uh, with the person in front of you. Uh, and that can be uh, because you don't have the experience, the same experience that the other person has. Um, you're not able to empathize. Uh, it could be cultural differences. Mm -hmm. You just don't understand what the other person um, is experiencing. Or um, there could be... Uh, you might recognize the suffering, uh, but there's no desire to alleviate it. And I know that sounds harsh, mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, sometimes how we used to um, attend to um, people who smoked. Mm -hmm. right? Well, she's just a smoker, so, you know, it's her fault. Yeah. Or, um, you know, somebody in a car accident. Well, you know, uh, he drove too quickly and this is what happened. Uh, so, you know, there's, there can, 
be that attitude. Um, and uh, then there can be uh, schadenfreude, where, mm -hmm. as you know, as harsh as it sounds, there can be a certain amount of pleasure in seeing somebody else in pain. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't think of that actually in my clinical experience, I've never seen that. Um, but I can see it sometimes, you know, when there, when there's commentary about, let's say a celebrity who is suffering and, you know, so, some of the commentary in the media can be very cruel. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a certain satisfaction that they're suffering. And so there can be barriers to actually initiating uh, compassion. And then um, there can be barriers to the fulfillment of compassion. Like I, I might see um, the suffering. I might recognize it feel that connection, want to alleviate it. Um, but then I may not have the skill set to do it. Uh, I'm, I might be, you know, novice in my clinical experience. Um, um, or uh, I might not um, have uh you know there might not be the um the rules the policies uh the infrastructure uh, that enables me to act compassionately so uh there might be um for example time constraints i'm perhaps i'm only supposed to spend you know x amount of time let's say yeah. in a clinic you know, we have to keep the moving through. Mm -hmm. um, there might be insufficient staffing. Um, so I, I I can't provide the care. Um, you know, I'm just making sure that everybody is safe, um, that I, you know, can't provide the compassion that I wish to provide. Or um, there can also be, um, you know, a lack of autonomy. I'm not able to. I'm just not allowed to um, enact my full role, for example, as a nurse. For, you know, there are constraints to it. Um, or there might be poor, for example, collegial relationships. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, you know, I cannot depend on um, my colleagues uh, to enable me to provide compassionate care. Uh, they may, you know, they may diminish me or make fun of me or, you know, say, um, you know, we don't have time for that. So um, being, um, being frustrated, being stopped um, in the uh, enactment of compassion is um, very frustrating. So, you know, when I hear compassion fatigue, I sometimes wonder if that is really compassion frustration. You know, I, I'm going down through the process and I want to act, but I'm frustrated in my ability to be able to act. And that is an awful feeling. 
And so what can happen is in order to protect myself from continuously feeling that way, I will stop trying to be compassionate. Mm -hmm. I will protect myself because that is a very awful feeling by not even enacting at the very beginning. I will just um, deny, for example, that there is suffering because personally it's so painful. Yeah, I think from what you've been describing as well, I mean, it sounds like a lot of these are structures that are created or barriers that, you know, they're human made um, and imposed, right? And so that our our healthcare system can be designed effectively to thwart the ability for compassion to exist, whether it's not giving people enough time or not providing them with training or opportunity or supports or policies or any of those kinds of things. I guess so the, so the flip side, I guess is what I'm hearing is that the, there's also perhaps a need for some intention um, to facilitate that or to create the space for it. Is that, am I getting that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my clinical practice uh, was um, both intensive care and surgery. And um, honestly, I would say intensive care is one of the best places to work. Um, now, I haven't been there during COVID, so um, mm -hmm. please understand that I'm reflecting on, you know, a, a practice from decades ago, um, because all the resources are there. All the whole, the team is there. The uh, equipment is there. Uh, it's It's a very enriched environment. And then going to the general surgical units, for example, it's a harder environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's um, quite often, you know, you're having to run around, look for, um, you know, IV poles and blood pressure pumps and, you know, linen. And so you're, um, you are uh, constrained uh, by uh, the requirement to spend your energies and time in other areas than um, being able to uh, enable compassionate practice. So maybe it's, you know, you could just maybe talk a little bit more about what the value of compassion is in healthcare. Um, I'm not sure, I guess we, it's sort of been assumed and we've been talking about this as something as something that we should strive for. Uh, and I think it's, you know, like I said, I think I can assume and understand that, but maybe in your own words, you know, what is the value of compassion in healthcare? What difference does it make? <laughs> 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 uh, 
good question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, of course, when we experience it, we know, we know what that difference is, right? Um, Because we've all been on the receiving end of compassion, and it makes such a difference. Um, I was um, just talking to um, someone who recently um, had a baby, and um, she said, you know, and and it was it was precipitous. Um, and she said everybody told me their name. Um, people were holding my hand. They were saying that you know we're going to do this. We're all together. This you know uh, we are in this. This is you know don't worry. We are all here. So she experienced compassion. Uh, and then there are experiences that aren't like that. Mm-hmm. so we know ourselves what it feels like and um the the research is uh bearing this out uh it's it's there are, it's mounting evidence now that uh compassionate practice is um uh it it decreases uh mortality and morbidity it um is more cost effective it is um uh good for the clinicians it mm-hmm. uh, enables them um to be more resilient um there's research that shows that compassionate clinicians are better decision makers uh that there are you know um uh the, in the relationship with um uh patients of compassionate clinicians there's physiological evidence that it's uh better like um diabetic patients um uh, are their blood sugars are better controlled um hiv patients um they uh are more adherent to you know their care plans and just an amazing piece of data that uh they are more likely to be virus free it it's just astounding the evidence that is mounting um as to how compassion affects the the clinician the um the client or the patient uh and you know the cost of healthcare um fewer discretionary tests are ordered fewer um referrals to specialists and on and on it's it's quite incredible I don't know um, if there, if you are familiar or our listeners are familiar with um, Stephen um, Trejiak and mm-hmm. um, Anthony Mazzelli's work, like the That's compassion- a compassionomics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they have another one out recently, and I can't recall the name, but you know, um, two hundred and fifty studies just showing you know what i'm describing Mm -hmm. um that it does make a difference 
So if it's, I mean, if it makes such, such a big difference, um, you know, it, I mean, is it, is it part and parcel of the same quest that we've been on for and maybe a decade, decade and a half around, you know, the pursuit of like people-centered care or patient-centered care in, in other language um, in terms of how do we create a space that is, that, that, you know, again, coming back to concepts around inclusion and, and um, uh, fulfillment? Mm. Uh, well, thank you for this. Uh, it is just right in um, line with some recent um, wondering, questioning uh, that I have been doing, uh, thinking about patient-centered care. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, that means the therapeutic relationship uh, where uh, the, the, you know, the patient is at, at the center. And so I began to wonder, okay, how does compassion moderate or mediate um, patient-centered care? Because um, you would think that it would, uh, they're, they're just that intuitively, that seems to be the case. And so I went to the literature and um, began to look to see, well, what's the language around patient-centered care? And what's the language around the therapeutic relationship? And um, not surprisingly, it's exactly the same as uh, the language um, used to describe compassion. So in compassion, uh, you know, you, there has to be three things present, common humanity, mindfulness, and kindness. And in the patient-centered literature and the therapeutic literature, that language is the same. Um, it talks about um, being um, accessible, being kind, Mm -hmm. uh, being respectful, uh, being accepting, uh, absence of prejudice, abs um, person-centered and respectful. So it's integrated um, as far as my understanding would be. And so I would love to do some research to see if my hypothesis is correct, that um, maybe it's not that compassion mediates or moderates the therapeutic relationship, but it is the therapeutic relationship. Like they're one and the same. Hmm. It's interesting. So yeah, can you do one without the or, the or without the other? Or as you say, is it one and the same thing? And what does the absence of that mean then? I guess in terms of people who are, um, I guess, providing therapy without um, doing it into those that method. I guess that's not the right word, but in that know. way or yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's another interesting question because. I 
you know, the, the therapeutic relationship, compassion, it's relational, relational. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think if, if that isn't present, then it's technical. Mm-hmm. It's not relational. It's just technical. Yeah, it's a, it's a task or yes, it's functional. So, yeah. Functional. That's a, you know, that's a better word. Um, and I, I think it is quite possible to be functional. Um, but we know that the outcomes now aren't nearly as good if it isn't relational. Because all this mounting evidence about compassionate care versus, let's say, functional care. I really like that term, Dan. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, well, I, I mean, it, it comes to me in the context of, right, uh, of, or, you know, some of the, I guess, the work that we do in our areas around leadership and management and, right, the functional or transactional elements that sometimes we could, we talk about. Um, but, but I guess, you know, and maybe I'll take our question there in a second, but I am curious, maybe even from an international perspective, certainly, you know, as we're coming out of this crisis and, you know, talking about health system transformation and looking, you know, how do we create a better Canadian health system? And we're constantly looking in the rearview mirror or, or front mirror, I guess, if we went through the windshield at all these countries that are outperforming Canada um, and, you know, calls for changes in scope of practice changing and like what is funded what's not funded or that we should be investing more money in healthcare but i would be curious as to are there studies that would talk about the way compassion itself manifests in different health systems around the world um i'm not just you know just off the top of my head but you know is the swedish system which we aspire to be better are they more compassionate in their daily healthcare practice Hmm. That's another good question. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't. Um, but what I would do, and I will, because now I'm curious, um, because I do know that the metrics are better, right, mm-hmm. um, is to explore um is their system compassionate? Is there evidence of compassion? Um, and is that one of the drivers? Um, and I would suspect, and I don't know, that the answer is yes. Because, you know, even to attend to healthcare in a different way, um requires you know that that patient centered approach right mm-hmm. uh, so i don't know but i wonder well it will be a great follow up interview mm-hmm. so uh go do your research and uh, i'd I love will. to talk about Report it yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> um so, you know, building on some of that, because I think some of the other parts that maybe are implicit in that, and, and we're talking about, um, you know, 
some of the levers for compassion is, you know, is the question of leadership, perhaps. Um, and, you know, it's, as I sort of mentioned in my intro, you know, we're talking about compassion and healthcare as one facet, but then leadership as a, as a discipline in and of itself, we're talking about wanting our leaders to be more compassionate um, as well. So, you know, what does that look like to you and your own work and your, um, uh, your, yeah, your research in terms of what, you know, compassion and leadership and how does that manifest? Well, um, you know, I, I love structure, <laughs> you know, um, and so for me, uh, the structure is um, what makes up compassion. And I'm and I'm going to go back to mindfulness, common humanity, and kindness. And so, compassionate leadership would uh, demonstrate those three variables um and uh actions would would flow using those variables as a um as a way of being i, I don't know if that's clear but uh decisions would be would 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 come from that mindset of of being kind, of of being mindful, of understanding common humanity, um, and I'm just going to go back to mindfulness for a, a moment because um, what helps what helps me be mindful helps me have that balance, ride that wave is, you know, as Michael Leitner says, you know, the organizational mm -hmm. behavioral scientist is knowing who I am, uh, knowing what my values are, being able to call on them, um, being able to be um, responsive rather than reactive. Mm -hmm. So if I can remember, the kind of person I wish to be, where I can helps me ride that wave. Yeah. Um, helps me respond rather than react. So. Yeah, and I, I and I guess what I might assume from that is that some of that might change culture within a team or right an organization. You know, have a place of. You know, if your if your leader is riding the wave and not getting too flummoxed by what's going on around them, right? That would help. You know, would translate perhaps um, back in terms of their relationships with um, their teams as well. Yeah, and um, so when a leader can um, be compassionate, um, you know, to to their team, um, that is you one one way of leading with compassion um and when the leader can have self-compassion mm -hmm. that's another way of leading with compassion like you know an awareness that um you know well first of all being able to be kind to themselves 
right? Um, having having an awareness that you know common humanity that all right um others have experienced this before me others are experiencing it now and will in the future i i can manage i can find my way through this i'm not the only one who has ever experienced this um and then being generous you know, with yourself, that ability to say, all right, um, all right, uh, this has happened. Um, it's not the end of the world. Um, and then, you know, the mindfulness again, it's, oh, right, this is the person I wish to be. Let me reorient, let me, um, refocus so that you know when the leader can be doing that with within herself himself that's powerful and then when the leader can also be doing that to the others in the group um it's powerful uh and what it creates is an atmosphere of trust mm -hmm. which um you know, is again very powerful. Almost trust. So, one word that hasn't come up yet so far, but um, I know is balled up in a lot of the other things that we've talked about. So we haven't actually mentioned it, and so maybe you can maybe respond to that. Is the word curiosity? Oh. Mm -hmm. So. So I'll just drop that out there and see where you want to take that. Well, the listeners can't see that I'm smiling, but I am. <laughs> I am. Um, oh, curiosity. Um, yes, to be curious. Uh, well, um, another area of interest that I have is uh, in uh, creative problem solving. Mm -hmm. And to be curious uh, just makes your mind... Uh, uh, become divergent it's just opens you up um and uh allows all sorts of uh possibilities um and so when we are curious we are able to uh withhold um assumptions we're able to pause. Uh, we are able to, um, this is really interesting and I don't know the exact mechanism, but um, we're able to be uh, empathetic without uh, the entanglement. Mm -hmm. Just recently reading some research on, on this, uh, some commentary, not research. And I don't understand the mechanism, but curiosity does that. Um, um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm assuming it because it differentiates, perhaps, right? Because mm -hmm. you, 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 you have to be curious about something else. It's not you, or I mean, you can have self curiosity about why you do things, I suppose. But, but yes, but when presented with somebody else, right? If you're curious and asking questions, then you clearly 
it's hard would be hard to be entangled i would think because you really are coming to a place right. of differentiation yeah but. so curiosity um allows um allows us to be compassionate and self-compassionate much more readily mm -hmm. much more readily uh because uh suddenly the world is much broader and bigger um yeah, it's, it is uh, powerful. Yeah, well, I guess because I was also sort of assuming or guess that it's an important place to begin to show compassion. It's not, and, and maybe that for me is how one would move away from some of those other emotional states that we talked about um, of wanting and, and helps certainly to learn and be, to be empathetic. But um, but what do you need? How can I help? Right? If I do care, but I want to know who you are, and what is your suffering? Um, I mean, is that is that fair? Yes, yes exactly. Um, and uh, you know, again, going through those three variables, uh, the common humanity. In what way are we the same? You know how? Okay, perhaps I see some dissimilarities, but how are we the same? Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, there is, um, there is a phrase that is suggested, uh, in, um, in, in, uh, the compassion, uh, training, um, course to use, which is, uh, just like me. So in what way is this other person just like me? Um, which opens up all sorts of possibilities hmm. we you know compassion is about crossing that chasm of otherness mm -hmm. and that's what that does helps do that hmm. it's beautiful um so part of you know part of my uh, deceitful way of wanting to ask you about curiosity is because i'm also curious about the relationship between um compassion and what you've described so far um, and other work, and hence the reason I was thinking about curiosity um, in leadership and, you know, growing leaders. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about the coaching mindset and we've done a couple of episodes on the HQ on that. And we've certainly as an organization are investing in this space as well, because we believe so fully that um, it's an important enabler to helping people to learn about themselves and to fulfill their full potential. But, you know, through that coaching mindset, a lot of what you've been describing so far feels exactly the same is that a good leader will take on that coaching mindset, be curious, and right, start with kindness and trust and respect and right, but it's, but it's going to where the other person is, as opposed to right, being that, um, more traditional leader of just telling you what to do. So um, I guess, so I'm just curious, um, coming back to that word again, where, where does this fit in terms of your, your, um, your own research and, and experience in this? Um, I, I, I don't have any experience in it. Um, and it's interesting that you, uh, have brought it up because I have not seen it uh in correlation with 
compassion. I, I, I've not. So um, when I think about coaching, just as you're speaking, I wonder if, um, because I'm not a coach, um, I think I've been a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're coaching somebody, you are uh, helping them to uh, achieve something, uh, a goal, a an objective, uh, you know, whatever happens to be. So I wonder if, um, just trying to make the connection here, I wonder if the the manner in which you assist the other to achieve that goal, if you use a compassionate mindset mm-hmm. when you do it, when you are coaching. Um, so it is, um, it's, I'm wondering if coaching is a way of doing And coaching is is the doing. Um, yeah, right. Because part of the because you talked about the the this syn- how synonymous they are. Let's just say the um, the therapeutic relationship, right, with mm-hmm. compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking about the and that's part of I guess the trigger for my mind as well. I was thinking about the that therapeutic relationship as a coach. Um, you're not providing therapy, but nevertheless, um, right, you're you're working with someone, right? Um right, right. Um, right, right the, the belief is, you know, all the full potential answers, everything is locked within that person. You're helping them to see it for themselves, right? Not necessarily to do it for them. Right. Um and so, yeah, so I guess that's where my mind was going in terms of the relationship between what you've been describing around compassion. Yeah, um, uh, I would see uh, that you would be coaching somebody in a compassionate manner. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that you would be... Um, you know, you, you would be kind, you would be, uh, again, mindful, you would be aware of uh, what your values are, um, how you are approaching this other person, and uh, you would be, you know, seeing how, um, you know, we're um, all in this together, right, and wanting you know, wanting the best for the other person. Um, so th- that's how I would see it as an over an overlay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So um, I know we're getting close to time here. So um, I'm just, as we close, maybe invite you for any other practical advice you may have on for others who want to become more compassionate or steps. You've talked a lot about mindfulness and throughout this. And so I don't know, do you have any tips or anything that you would like to share with our listeners? I do. You do? <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, 
you know, the the fascinating part is uh, for me is that um, compassion can be learned. It's it you know, uh, it's not as it's not that you are you aren't. We mm-hmm. all have the capacity, so it can it can be learned, which is just amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I do have a few tips, and one of them, uh, which. Uh, you, Dale, and our listeners may have heard before, is the uh, advice, just breathe. Mm-hmm. Just breathe. Um, and the science behind it, even though, you know, at first there might be some eye rolling, it's like, oh, no. The science behind is that when we take deep breaths, We engage our vagal nerve. And when we engage our vagal nerve, we engage all those pro-social parts of our brain. We get oxytocin and serotonin. They start circulating. We dampen down our, um, our sympathetic system, which is our fight or flight or flee. So breathe. Just breathe. Um, the other course is be kind, be Mm. kind. And uh, the rewards for being kind are um, enormous. Uh, Again, when we are kind, uh, we release oxytocin, serotonin. Um, We, uh, we get the, the, the giver of kindness receives the most benefit it's just amazing the receiver receives benefit and then an observer of kindness receives a benefit so it's like a win-win-win um start small start small you know um we don't have to start, you know, uh, you know, a a charity. <laughs> we, we we you know <clears throat> don't have to go to a remote part of the world um, and practice. Um, we can, you know, open the door or even within our own home. You know, start small. Um, be kind. Um, if we. Um, If we see differences amongst ourselves, look for similarities. Look for, you know, um, reach out to others. Mm -hmm. Volunteering um, is a um, very powerful way to um, enable compassion. Um, And again, uh, volunteers uh, receive uh, emotional and physiological benefit from volunteering. Um, and maybe finally, um, just know that the pilot light is always on. <laughs> always on. So you just, you know, light it with some little act. Mm hmm. And it will grow. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Welcome.
that was very generous and uh yeah um it resonates with so much of my own life and that which i see in the world around me so yeah um it's been a delightful conversation kathleen um and so yeah i look forward to having a further conversation with uh, the results of your next bit of research so i'll let you know about sweden yeah <laughs> <laughs> wonderful thanks kathleen thank you thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure You've been listening to The HQ, and I'm Dale Sherbeck, your host. You can find this and other future episodes on the CHA Learning website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think, so please follow us on our other social media channels. Thanks for joining us in this discussion today. Please join us next time.